Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of The Pilot's Pandemic. We are, I feel like we haven't done a solo in forever. It's been a hot minute, dude. Yeah, but we're we're very happy to be back. This week, we're going to kind of be going over the dangers of single pilot operations. But before we get into today's episode, Maddie, what have you been up to? I just recently came back from a trip. It was my husband's last trip as a first officer. So very exciting. Usually, I, I don't think I've ever actually gone on a last trip with Jesse, but I wanted to because I was like, this is like an end of an era for us because we've been together for most of his career as a first officer. So um, it's been, he was a first officer for 10 years. So I'm like, we got to close out this chapter and he had great trips. Like it was like clutch layovers. So we first went to Newark and then we went on to San Francisco and had a full day in San Francisco. We just like walked all around San Fran, you know, talked about old memories. We actually met up with one of the, um, old regional pilots that flew with Jesse. It was just a coincidence. He was staying at the same hotel and he, what was most crazy is he's like, Jesse. And then he's like, and Maddie, I'm like, how do you remember me? Like, I do not remember you. He's like, oh yeah, I remember you from, from regional days. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so wild. So we just like shared all these memories really brought back, like how, how interconnected the airline family is. And we had such a good time. So now Jesse's in captain training for the next, I think four or five weeks. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like what I've been up to. What about you? Oh, my life has been so much more boring than yours. Mine is like, I have nothing really exciting. I mean, I'm just, I've been, honestly, I've been moving a lot, like moving a lot of stuff. So we, we sold my childhood home in Eden to North Carolina. So it's just been a process of going back and forth and, getting everything out of the house and wrapping up all that. So that's kind of what I've been up to. It's been a little bit sad. I'm not even going to like come to you guys and act like it's all fine and chill. It's definitely been sad having a little bit of growing pains, but you know, you got to grow up at some point. You get nostalgic. Like when you go back home. Oh my God. Yes. Like, so when we went back this past time, it was like the last time that I'll ever like be able to go back and like go inside. Um, unfortunately, I don't know. I just don't think I'll be able to go back, like considering the circumstances and everything. But, um, when I went back, we took, I took my dog and he's, he's young. He's about two years old. And when we got him, it, we, we didn't live there anymore. So he's never been to this house. And I don't know why, but I had to like, it's so dumb. He's, he's a dog. Like he's not going to remember, but to me, I was like, it's important that he sees my house where I grew up. Um, I grew up on the water and there's like a pier that we always used to swim off of. And all of the animals that I've ever had, all the dogs that I've ever had, they all have a picture like in the corner of that dog. So I made sure to take him down there and I got a picture of him on the pier. And yeah, it was, it was very nostalgic, very bittersweet. That's always how I feel when I go back home. I'm like, oh, this is where I did this. You know, like you always just like kind of remember the good old days when you were a kid and you didn't have any worries or responsibilities or bills to pay. I know for real. You just go play outside, drink hose, the drink water out of the hose. 
Yeah. Drink like, hose. Yeah. Dr- drink hose. Yeah. Drink the hose. I mean, pretty much sometimes. Yeah. Like it felt like you were, you could kind of taste the rubber a little bit yeah. from the water. <laughs> well, guys, um, I'm going to get into one of the reviews because we love to read the reviews from our, from our followers, our fans. And um, thank you to those who take the time to do this. So this one is from Swixix. And it's a five-star review says excellent. And, and this person says, I'm an aviation educator. Every semester I start my introductory classes with a lecture about the FAA's antiquated stance on mental health. And every semester I have students that realize they may not be able to obtain a medical and that their dreams may be impossible. I am so glad to see you taking the effort to address this topic head on. Well done. Thank you so much for that review just like makes me feel so good (laughs) like and then a little bit sad because it's like you know like these students go in and they're all excited you know they're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to like start aviation and and then they realize holy crap maybe this is something that I can do so it's like it's like thank you for that review we're so grateful and we're glad and happy to talk about it but then it's also like that kind of like sad side too to it yeah definitely and just to even have to have like a whole lecture about it because I mean and I think it's important that I mean I haven't heard of anyone really taking the time to educate anyone about this on like at a school level so I definitely really admire that but just even the the fact that we have to have that conversation or even have the conversations that we're having I'm just like oh and it is sad to think that you know, just like you said, Maddie, you've got all these kids that, man, this is like their dream and they could potentially be held back from something that happened to them when they were a freaking kid. Like, it's just not right. But yeah, thank you for the review. It's hard to like, I'm like happy, but sad at the same time. (laughs) It was like great that we got a review, but then at the same time, it was like kind of sad, really sad. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But Anyways, moving past that, we're going to go ahead and dive into the pros and cons of single pilot operation and as that ties to mental health and aviation. Um, So today we've sourced a lot of our articles from ALPA and we're going to be leaving that in the show notes, but we're basically going over an ALPA white paper that warns of the dangers of single pilot operations. And first, like, let's ask why why is this industry even considering single pilot operations and what even led to this? So we know a few things for sure. And the first one that comes to mind for me is definitely the pilot shortage, but we'll get to that. So cost cuts, everything comes back to money and pilots are definitely the biggest cost to the companies, period. So an automated system that can replace a second pilot that they don't have to pay is looks good that, you know, for their wallet, that's good. So as far as that moving into, like I said, with the pilot shortage, now that we are really in the thick of it, I mean, we're tapping into reserves and trying to mitigate this problem, but we're not really doing a great job of it. And when I say we're, I'm really referring to the airlines. Um, You know, single pilots could, like single pilot operations could go a long way in mitigating that. But at the same time, like we're about to discuss today, there are a lot of issues that arise when we talk about this today. 
Yeah, I think um, with that single pilot operation, it's like, yeah, they they definitely want to cut costs because having only one pilot, you know, you get rid of a bunch of costs for that. I mean, pilots usually make upwards once you like top out as a major airline pilot, you're making upwards of 300K. So that's a big cost cut for them. And then with the pilot shortage, you know, everyone doesn't pay attention to something until it's right in front of their face. So now I feel like they're like, okay, how do we get rid of this pilot shortage? And so that's why that single pilot operation is kind of coming into talks more and more. Um, And we live in this like technological world. So obviously we're going to start seeing these advances, but are we ready for them? And and I want to look back to like, okay, we have self-driving cars like Tesla, but you still have to have someone at the wheel when I was, and they don't even stop. Have you seen the videos of them testing it to see if it'll stop for the kid on the road? And that thing just plows right through. No, like they're having so many problems with them. Like, and that's just a car. Yeah. I saw. So when I was in San Francisco, I forgot what it's called. My husband was like, Oh, that's a self-driving car. And I was like, what it's, it's self-driven all by itself, but there has to be someone at the wheel. And and it has all these different gadgets on it and it just self-drives. But why is there a person at the wheel if it's a self-driving car? And I think it is all comes back to liability. Who are we going to blame if the computer fucks up? You know? So that's, that's one of the things that I think about. I'm like, okay, but someone's got to be, you know, in trouble if something bad happens. So that's why they're not making it a uh, no pilot operation. <laughs> they're yeah. going to be like, oh, if anything bad happens, it's the, it's the single pilot, if anything. But um, so we know humans are flawed. We know this, but there are a lot of reasons why there is a two pilot operation. And from the Alpha white paper, it's a massive paper um, that Alpha wrote in response to single pilot operation. And they warn of these dangers because they are real. And, I, and I, even though the technology exists, I don't think we're we're there yet to be able to do single pilot operations. So the paper talks about like the necessity of multiple multiple pilots in the flight deck, public perception of single pilot operation, which is big because public perception really does come into play. And then like all the obstacles relating to single pilot operation, which includes security risks. Um, So I'll break down, there were 10 points that Emma and I are going to be talking about that they summarize in the paper, but they're just so you guys know, if you want the, to look at the white paper, we will link it because there's so much to the paper and we're only covering like a little small blip of it. Yeah. So, the, so the first uh, point of interest is that the two pilots in the cockpit have different roles. One flies, one monitors. Those roles can be alternated or exchanged under many conditions and the undivided attention of both pilots is needed. And one of the quotes in the paper says, studies show a clear inverse relationship between pilot workload and safety, particularly during off nominal conditions, off nominal meaning not normal everyday conditions of flight. Flight path performance was also better during two crew operations than reduced or single crew operations. So the first thing that really comes to mind for me for uh, pilots relying on automated systems is the Asiana Airlines Flight 214, which was coming into San Francisco. That must be a theme for today. Um, But (laughs) it was two pilots. Uh, They were Korean descent, uh, which really doesn't matter, but I'm just saying it's coming from South Korea. And they, in 
the Asian world, or I, I don't know if I'm saying this right. I'm not trying to like say blame it on their ethnicity or anything, but the way that they train overseas is very different from the United States. So they really do heavily rely on automation. And the reason why this crashed and they, be, they crashed like short of the runway and it was kind of catastrophic. Like almost everyone on board was injured and a few people died, but, uh, it says the NTSB reported pilot error and pilot fatigue as the causation and over-reliance on automation and lack of systems understanding by the pilots were cited as major factors contributing to the accident. And there, it wasn't only two pilots in the cockpit, it was actually three. Um, and, and they were really paying attention to the systems and they weren't looking outside. You know, yeah. like that, that's a whole reason of being a pilot is because you are able to see unlike an automated system. So I think that's something to point out is um, if you do go to a single pilot operation, you're going to be more in tune with automation than you would when you manually fly. Yeah. yeah. Is that something that, like, do you think about that, Emma? Like, do you think no, I think about that a lot because I mean, it's not really the same, but during your IFR training, you get a little bit like tunnel visioned and there's like this finite balance of constantly looking at your gauges and checking your controls and, and keeping in that, like that circle of constantly cross-checking everything. But there are times now where I'm like, I forget to look outside, even, you know, VFR conditions. I'm like, I'm not looking outside. And sometimes like you need to look outside your eye. Like, I mean, I understand in IMC, you're not looking outside. And the whole point is you're looking like at your panel and at your gauges, but there's definitely a huge difference between a row, like, like you almost put yourself in this robotic, it's like, it becomes very robotic and you honestly start to ignore the, the things that your body is telling you, because a lot of the times we're trained not to listen to that in certain points of flight. You're not supposed to listen to that because that could be your body. Like misinterpreting a sense, but yeah, that's, that's difficult. That's definitely a difficult question to ask. Cause I've never, I've flown, I've never flown with autopilot. So I, I don't, I've never really had to rely on a system. Yeah. I think, uh, I, when I'm thinking about this, I also think about like my, my work life when I was a dental assistant, because there is a dentist who is like the all-knowing, like the pilot in command. And then there's the assistant, the first officer who literally just monitors. And I think that two-way system is important because even though you can perfectly do something and you know, your dentist is competent to do everything. Sometimes they make mistakes. Sometimes yeah. they, I, I work for a dentist who totally gave anesthetic in the wrong tooth and I let him do it because I wanted to prove a point really. But um, that's the thing. The like, same I, way. You need to remind them. I'm like, you know, the patient's not gonna like die or anything from getting an anesthetic in the wrong tooth. But I want, like, sometimes you have to prove that point. You have to let the person next to you make a mistake, and so that they they can be reminded that they are fallible. <laughs> they do make mistakes. But in flight, you know, sometimes you I don't have that room. You don't really have that room, especially on takeoff and descent. But um, I think it's important to know that there is that two-way street that you, it's a checks and balance system. And it can be hard when you have an automated system to have those checks and balances because a, an automated system can't look over at the pilot in command and be like, Hey dude, like you're not doing this right. It, it all relies on one person. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And on it, like it, <laughs> 
so you need, I always say this, we were talking about this before. I don't, I don't really prefer to fly solo because you can, you can be the best pilot in the entire world. Like you could be the most flawless, perfect, but there are sometimes like you're not going to see or notice something that somebody else might notice before you. And sometimes that's kind of the make or break difference of like, okay, well, we can recover from this or we can't. Um, but then we kind of get into workload, which multiple NASA and FA studies have noticed the dangers of further reducing flight, flight crew because quote, NASA studies have shown that without a pilot monitoring the cockpit, the pilot flying would face a substantially higher workload, especially under off normal flight circumstances. Numerous NASA simulations have demonstrated this phenomenon along with associated rise in task shedding and pilot errors. Studies also show that ground-based assistance does not offset the increased workload because why would it? You know what I mean? There's only so much that the computer can compensate for that you cannot, the, the computer can't read back calls to ATC. The computer can't equate for what is actually going on in real time. I mean, I'm not the best person to be talking about this, obviously, because I'm not a computer or science geek or nerd. And I know that these systems, most of the time, they are pretty flawless, but the workload is the most concerning for me um, because there's just, there's so much. And I don't, you know, I'm thinking of my workload right now and I'm flying a 172. You know what I mean? I'm a private pilot with an instrument rating and I'm like, my workload on my own solo is a lot already. So what is the workload going to be like for on a commercial flight on a much larger jet, jet that has way more intricate systems? Yeah, no, I feel like the workload is biggest during takeoff and landing, which are the most critical parts of flight. And so if anything happens in the critical part of flight and there's only one single pilot, then their workload becomes even more of a stress for them. And yeah. that's the scary part. And I think that's the big, big hitting point is that any type of emergency that happens, the computer is not equipped to handle it. You need two pilots. Yeah. I mean, it was like, it's like the whole, I mean, believe what you want to believe about the whole Hudson river crash, but like when they were investigating that everything that they had been taught, I mean, everything that the, the book says is that they should have turned around that they could have turned back the, they did the simulator of it and they were like, Oh, you could have turned around. And so it was like, no, you couldn't have, I was there. I was there in real time when it was happening and there's no way I could have. Um, so it kind of, it, it reminds me of that. It's like, you can't, you can only, you what's the word for it? You can only, I'm thinking like guesstimate, which is like not the word, but you can only compensate for so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like predict like what yeah. could happen if you automated something. And, and that's so true. Like when a pilot goes into a simulator, they're only doing simulation. But, and I think about this even for me when I was doing clinical studies um, for dental assisting, school and doing things in school through simulations only takes you so far. And then there's real life and real life is very different from a simulation. And you yeah. do not react the same in a simulation compared to real life because 
real life is like, holy crap, my adrenaline is 10 times higher because you don't know what's coming at you. In a simulation, most of these pilots, when they're going to training, they're already prepared for what's going to happen. They know, oh yeah, this year in the simulator, we're going to be practicing two engine failures, like bird strikes, like with Sully. Um, they've done that simulation. So I think in real life is so much different. It is hard to predict what will actually happen. And yeah. like you said, they did. I feel like what I saw with the Sully thing, they did a simulation and every simulation where they turn back to the airport, the pilots crashed. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you can't, the, the biggest thing is like, you can't account for like human factors. Yeah, you can't. And, and, and no one can. So that's, and, and that is also the point made that because you can't account for human factors, there should be an automated system. And I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. I'd rather have two humans who can monitor each other than one human who is unmonitored and an automated system. Um, I don't so, know. I just, I just like, simply put, I don't trust the fucking computer. Like, like, let's be real. I mean, how would we feel right now? You see a robot on TikTok that can talk and acknowledge you and the whole world is freaking out. Like, oh my God, you know what I mean? That's so freaking creepy. That's so scary. It's the same concept. Like it is the same concept. If you're so scared of walking around in a time where you're walking amongst like humans and robots, then why is it any different to have a robot making calls that normally a human would be making? Yeah. I don't know. And I think that brings us to like the next point in the Alpha White paper where it says neither a ground pilot or an autonomous system can compensate for an incapacitated pilot. So we're saying is if the pilot becomes incapacitated in a single pilot operation, the robot or or autonomous system will not be able to compensate for that. And we've seen that there has been times when this has happened i actually looked it up to see if it was actually like true where a pilot has become incapacitated and the other pilot took over and this one was actually very extreme because i mean both of the pilots were incapacitated so then you really do want an automated system to take over but they became incapacitated at different times so um it was a sydney flight in 2018 a cargo plane i I feel like this happens more with cargo and i don't know why i think maybe it's like back side of the clock flying or something but um they had issues during the flight where the crew had to take out their oxygen mask well the captain had too much oxygen so he passed so then the first officer is doing like a mayday call and then the captain comes to And then the first officer, I think with all the adrenaline that was going on with the emergency happening, um, him having his O2 mask on and then the captain passing out. Once the pilot came, the captain came to the first officer hyperventilated. Oh my God. (laughs) And he passed out, but, but nothing, but since the pilot in command, what the, the captain, uh, he had come to, he was fine after that. (laughs) And he was, and everything turned out okay. But I'm like, wow, that's very extreme. And that sounds like an SNL skit. I'm sorry. It really does. And I was just thinking about it. I was like, imagine being the pilot who had just passed out and had come to, and then seeing your first officer and you look over like, and he's, then he's passing out. and then he passes out. I would be like, remain calm, yeah. keep breathing, do not pass out. <laughs> but that, what happens if, yeah, if your pilot becomes incapacitated and then you just have the system, the, the, 
the automated system working? Is it going to be able to land? Is it going to be able to take the workload of the the captain? Yeah. I don't, and and I think that's a big worry is if something happens like that, that that the computer wouldn't be able to take over. Yeah, and we're already, we're not even halfway through this episode and you've already seen like how many different scenarios you can possibly be posed with, which is kind of like, you know, the conversation of what you just said, it's like in that instance, you would want an automated system, but at the same time, if it was just one pilot and they would have, you know, passed out, then you do want that other pilot. So there's just, uh, this becomes like, we, we've been wanting to do an episode on this for a while now, I think Maddie. And I think part Mm -hmm. of the reason the trepidation, why we haven't done it is because there's just this is an elaborate subject. There are a lot of different scenarios. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So we're kind of going into the, the next possible scenario, which is what, what was God code is that, um, uh, seven, five hands in the sky. We're going to be talking about cyber vulnerabilities. So cyber attacks, cyber attacks. So Quote, the enhanced air-to-ground communications and automation automation capabilities necessary to, oh my God, Maddie. Implement? <laughs> I asked her how to say that before, and it's like, I don't know why, but when my brain sees that fucking word, it's just not <laughs> happening. It's just not happening. Something's not connecting. Um, Okay, to implement reduced crew or single pilot operations could leave aircraft leave the aircraft vulnerable to new forms of tampering or attack. Hackers might, for example, jam signals being used to remotely operate an aircraft or even commandeer a flight via a cyber attack. Signal encryption is the best defense against such attacks. However, encryption introduce introduces signal delays, often lasting for seconds, which could make it difficult to operate an aircraft remotely or in an emergency. Moreover, countries have different laws governing the use of encryption technology, and some have banned it altogether. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So next point of contention was the pilot flexibility is essential. According to FAA data, only one in 10 flight conforms to the original flight plan, which means that most flights do not follow the original flight plan. And there has to be some adjustments made by the pilots themselves. Um, And the quote was, pilots mitigate safety and operational risk on a frequent basis by adapting to changes in circumstances, including direction from air traffic control, weather, equipment malfunctions, airport congestion, and flight diversions. This ability to adapt to a dynamic environment is critical. And like we said, most critical parts of flight take off and landing. Um, And I think, honestly, like even at SeaTac, dude, the congestion is so bad that they start delaying flights on the East Coast on the ground. Yeah, no, that's what I was just thinking of. Like when yeah. when I flew to New York, um, we were flying into, I think it was LaGuardia and it gets so bad up there that like they do the same thing. Like they delayed us. We hadn't even pushed back yet. And they were like, 
yeah, we're delayed because it's too busy right now. Like nobody else can go in until they have like slowed things down. I have a question for you. So, so when you put your flight plan in, cause you you have to do that when you're going to fly, if a certain amount of time elapses, do you have to redo your flight plan? Yes. Yeah. I am interrupting this episode to give you some unsolicited ground school because I realized Maddie asked me a fairly simple question and I failed to answer it. So the answer to her question, in my case, as a instrument rated pilot, filing my flight plan through ForeFlight, once I filed it, and this is standard, but once you filed your IFR flight plan, you have 30 minutes to contact ATC to open it. Um, if you haven't contacted them within 30 minutes, they hold on to the flight plan for another two hours. If you still haven't contacted them, they throw it out. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Now you know. Maybe you did know. Who cares? All right. So next we're going to be talking about how ground, ground-based pilots and autonomous systems are a poor substitute for a second pilot on the flight deck, even though we've said that like 40 million times. This says, quote, during 2018 alone, multiple instances of lost communications with aircraft occurred, typically during the handoff from one air traffic controller to the other, that were deemed serious enough to scramble fighter jets to to investigate the affected aircraft. During single pilot operations, if the onboard pilot were to become incapacitated and communications with the ground were lost, the result could be catastrophic. Even with pilot incapacitation, risk of the aircraft and passengers is increased since the single pilot would have to assume navigation, would have to assume navigation duties to make up for the lost external informational sources. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> so basically what this is saying is that all right, say they, it is just one pilot and you, okay, well, I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I got to go back to where they said they had to send out fighter jets. Imagine mm-hmm. you're like, you switch comms, then your comms go down, which obviously you're going to squawk seven, six guys, seven, six can't hear shit. Um, and, but like, imagine losing comms and you've got all these passengers and you look to the left of you and there's a fighter jet getting ready to shoot you down because they mm. don't know what's going on. Yeah. I feel, have you heard about any flights like that? Cause I feel like I have, but I'm just like, I don't know if I have. I, there, I mean, none that like I can quote like from memory, but I hear about it all the time. Like you know, obviously like my dad would talk about it. Yeah, that's what they'll do. You know, you're being bad or you don't talk to them. They're going to come and get you. They'll shoot you down. You better not do anything wrong. <laughs> Damn, dude. Well, that but they actually... will. That's the truth. They will. I mean, like, yeah. you know, with the, the, um, the Alaskan, the, the ramper. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. I remember that, that flight is that, I mean, same job as I did worked, uh, took a Q4 and hundred out of the maintenance hangar and just took off. I was like, I don't even know how he got cleared for takeoff at SeaTac. Like what? And he had a mental health breakdown and he said that in flight. He was like, you know, I always knew I had a few loose crews, but I just didn't realize it until now when he's up in the sky in a Q400 doing all these maneuvers. 
And they did. They scrambled the fighter jets because they were worried that he was going to crash into houses or kill some people. And that was not his plan. I feel so bad for him because listening to that black box recording was just like very emotional. Um, But I think for him, he he just wanted to go out with a bang, but he also didn't want to hurt anyone. But the fighter jets came and and they they were going to shoot him down if he came back towards Seattle. But he eventually crashed into a like a island with no people on it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know we're going to get into the whole like date, like the danger with just the single person and like what that person is going through. But like, I just I don't even know if I could trust one person. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't I just don't trust people enough to put faith in one person and a computer like I and I like even like like I keep going back to even if you're the best pilot in the world even if I know you personally even if I believe even if you're my dad like I still like I would never like I could never see a situation where even like somebody like my dad who I admired and respected and looked up to who I knew like always had the best intentions for me I'm still just like "Mm, I'd really like if somebody else were up there yeah, it's checks and balances. Again, it really comes back to that. And you don't feel like you can do that with a computer because oftentimes, I think this reminds me of the Air France flight. Uh, they, it was three pilots, the the pilot in command, he was the captain. He had to relieve himself with the, the third pilot and he went to go take a nap. They relied so much on the automation because I think the pitot tube froze up and it was relaying the wrong signals, but then it thawed out and then it was relaying the right signals and they just stopped trusting it. And they didn't realize it, it was back to relaying the right signals. And they just kept, um, the, the pilot who would relieve the captain kept pulling up and he Mm -hmm. he pulling up and pulling up his first officer was even telling him stop pulling up. And he just didn't stop. He was so narrow-minded in trusting the system that it that it couldn't come back to actually uh saying what was right and that's the thing how do you know when the system is wrong and how do you know when it's right are you just supposed to trust the system the whole time or and then now you've got like you're right? completely disoriented and you're thrown point. off yeah he yeah. was so disoriented he thought he didn't think he was pitching up when he was pitching up the whole time and he just kept pulling back pulling back eventually stalled the plane and they just fell out of sky and killed everybody that's was that what I was thinking about earlier for some reason I thought that was Pan Am but I think that was the one that my dad used to tell me about all the time where like they the system messed up then it came back then they were confused and he kept on pulling up and they were all telling him no and he kept on pulling up and yeah killed them all killed them all they went like into the ocean yeah they did they fell into the ocean and it was just that they, I read a book on it and cause it kind of talks about how people, when you're in like these positions of power, like you can come when something bad happens, you can become tunnel visioned. And instead of him thinking outside of the box, he was just very stuck on the, the automation is wrong. It's not reading back correctly. And I need to keep pitching the nose up, even though the first officer was screaming at him to stop doing that. And he was trying to push down the nose and that eventually stalled them. And they were, they lost so much altitude. There was no recovery. Mm, dude. 
but then see like even what we're talking about now where you've got one person that's right and one person that's wrong what if you're stuck with the one person that's wrong which in this case they both i mean they all died but like imagine you know what i mean imagine if you're in that situation you don't have that other person to say no this is what happened i saw what happened i know you know what i mean it's just but mm. then that begs the question too it's like wait how do you know if the automation reads one thing for 10 minutes and you and it's wrong because you know the pedo tube's frozen uh it's reading wrong and then how do you know when the computer has switched back and is reading right how do you trust that yeah i just it's you, you don't i mean it's hard because like you're always taught like i mean the last training i did it was very much like you rely heavily on your gauges. You have to trust the airplane. You have to trust the airplane. You have to trust your gauges. But there does come a time, I know, where you have to kind of separate that, which is that that's difficult. Um, yeah. Like, it's hard for me to talk about this or even answer that question because I'm just like, <sighs> it, you're always supposed to trust your gauges. You're always supposed to trust your airplane. But like we've seen recently with the innovation and the advancement with all these automated systems, they that comes with different and new flaws that now we're not able to compensate for. Yeah. And, and the thing I know about pilots is that they always want to be in control. So if you don't feel like you're in control, you're going to do everything you can to to be back into control. And so I feel like that pilot who did that was trying to show that he is in control and he knows what he's doing and the system is not going to outsmart him. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. I got to, I got to flip my page. All right. I, I, my next, I think I'm next. So uh, we are on the next point, which is ground-based pilots must split attention and may get cut off. So part of ground-based pilot ops means that there's a pilot on the ground, dispatched to a pilot or multiple pilots in the sky. And what we know is that divided attention or split attention can kind of create a safety issue. So that's kind of the thing. If you're going to have a single pilot operation, we know that there's going to be a ground pilot to help the pilot in command on flight, the single pilot in the, in the operation, but there, it doesn't make sense for a company to have a ground-based pilot only operate one flight at a time, but if they're, so they will probably oversee multiple flights, which they're experienced enough to do. It would kind of be like air traffic control, but just kind of in a different way. But then if an emergency happens, what are they going to do? They aren't going to be able to split their attention between multiple flights. So what if two emergencies happen at the same time? Then what? And that's kind of the problem. My question, I'm like, I'm like, wait, what? So y'all are going to pay. I mean, I get it. They're paying for less pilots, but you're still going to pay for a pilot. You're just not going to put them in the plane. But they'll, they'll pay for the pilot, but they'll pay them at like a reduced, a very reduced rate. I feel is what they would do and because what they would do to make it uh fiscally like representative what they want they wouldn't like they're not going to pay them the same and they're also going to make them like I said have multiple flights that they are overseeing because if they only had them oversee one flight then that wouldn't be right they would be losing money like you said I just don't understand how they're gonna like I mean, now I'm thinking about, okay, what if you're looking at a big screen and you accidentally like tell one pilot the wrong information because you're looking at a different plane and you accidentally give them the wrong information? What then? And I mean, I guess it just 
depends on like the seriousness of the information and what is being said and what is being done. But this this article goes on to say, quote, two pilots seated side by side in the cockpit are able to closely coordinate their actions via constant communication, including nonverbal cues such as head nods, other gestures that may indicate a message has been heard or a task is being performed. The pilot monitoring also plays an important role monitoring the pilot flying, watching out for errors or declines in cognitive ability. Should the pilot flying become incapacitated for health reasons during the flight, the pilot monitoring can quickly take control of the aircraft. Kind of just, end quote. That's what we've been saying. So, I mean, yeah. And like another another thing that I haven't even, this just kind of came across my mind is like, I don't know, like, I'm, I'll ask you this, Maddie, do you feel like, I mean, during your husband's career, he's probably learned a lot, like, I mean, you learn a lot during training, but I would say like a lot of the stuff you learn is out there on the line and learning from your captain. Yeah, I, that's what I'm saying too, is like, you're never going to learn like you learn flying on the line. Like we, there's so many things you can plan, strategize for when you're not flying, but it really comes down to you being able to do it when it happens and the quote you read too also just we haven't even touched on it is the whole mental health aspect of pilots and if you have a single pilot that autonomous system is not going to be able to know if this pilot is having a mental health uh, issue or struggle or situational stress you're not even going to be able to report that to the crew in the back and as we know pilots are very good at covering any struggles they're having with their mental health and I'm not saying and and I will like to bring up German wings but I also think it stigmatizes mental health but we do have to be aware of that that there there could be a situation that is created and that is why there is a two-pilot operation right now why there always has to be two people in the cockpit or flight deck um, because of German wings that was something that was put into place because of that crash yeah and it always it doesn't always have to be you know per se that dramatic you know it could just like we always talk about those external pressures it could be uh, somebody who's you never know what somebody is going through their dog might have just died their cat might have just died maybe their mom died or they broke up with their girlfriend or they anything there's like a number of things that could be going on in somebody's life that can just distract i mean me right now i'm like just sold my childhood house. It's not something that is like currently affecting me, but Hey, when I'm sitting here in my free time, is that what I'm thinking about? Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that, but those kinds of things that are playing with your mind mentally, they do distract from what is in front of you. And if you're not in the position where you're able to like, can't take a day off of work just because your mom sold your childhood house, you're going to work. But also part of that is like having someone beside you to kind of keep you like set on your goals and like what is right in front of you and the tasks that you need to be taking care of. Um, and also just that person to say, Hey dude, are you okay? And then it's just, all it takes is sometimes that person asking you if you're okay, you saying how you're feeling. And then you don't think about it once the rest of the day. Um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of factors that go into that, like the mental health aspect of it. Yeah. Just, it kind of reminds, like you said, it doesn't have to be that extreme, but when you're not totally focused in on the operation, it creates a safety situation. Mm-hmm. 
And when when I was working for the airline, one of the things that they always use is like the Swiss cheese analogy. So it only takes so many different things where all the Swiss cheese lines up, the holes all line up, and then there's a safety incident. So with that, it's just like, that's one more risk that we're taking and we don't know how that will affect flight and the safety of the flight. So if a, if a pilot is having some situational stress, like you said, like the mom, the dad died, or, or something's happening in their life that's very stressful, that be- makes them less focused on the operation, which when there's an emergency, we want these pilots yeah. focused. We want them in, in the moment. We don't want them thinking about other things. And um, that creates a, the ability for them to have more issues like... So yeah, I think that's important to note. Um, The next point is that autonomous systems are not capable enough analytically or physically. So we've already kind of touched on this. Most critical parts of flight take off and landing, um, which are typically hand-flown, especially if it's um, an off-nominal environment. And um, this quote here says, there are numerous documented incidents in which two or more pilots were necessary to avert disaster following major in-flight equipment malfunctions. Malfunctions. These include the 2009 incident in which a U.S. Airways pilot ditched into the Hudson River, Mr. Soli himself, after a bird strike caused a dual engine failure shortly after takeoff, and also the 2018 incident where a Southwest Airlines flight suffered a catastrophic engine failure and debris shattered a passenger window in the cabin. Um, So a huge list of reasons to keep two pilots in the flight deck, but the other big reason we wanted to mention is the public perception. And that one's big because I think everything really relates back to how the public sees flight. Yeah. And and so that's a good thing that we're going to touch on. So as a passenger, do you trust a plane with only one pilot and automation, which you kind of already said no, but no, definitely (laughs) fucking not. And the other thing I was thinking about, like when we're talking about these emergency type situations, you know, the crew is actively working with the first officer and the captain to control the situation in the back. Now, if there's one pilot, he's, he's pilot in command. Then we've got the other, the other pilot who's, you know, making sure and coordinating with the people in the back that everything's going to be okay. Now you exit out that one person. Now this one person is left in complete chaos. They're the captain of the ship and they're supposed to deal with an emergency up front, but there's also an emergency happening in the back. You know what I mean? Like imagine the 2008 where, which I remember that that was wild, um, where the, 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 freaking windows shattered you know you've got all this chaos going in on in the back and imagine trying to handle an emergency situation like that all by yourself like yeah that's why you have two pilots like you share that responsibility I think it uh strengthens your ability to deal with an emergency when you have that backstop if you don't have a person next to you and it's an automated system that you already kind of question <laughs> in the first place, then how much more stress does that add on to you as a pilot if there is that massive emergency? And then yeah. everyone's relying on you, including the crew, because the crew's relaying whatever's happening in the back. And it may be small amounts of conversation, but still, you know that these people in the back are also in turmoil. So it's a lot mm-hmm. to put on one person's shoulder. Yeah. And it just, it reminds me of like, I've told you how my dad, like 
when he told me one time before he passed, he was like, you know, I, one of the things that I love most about my job is like being able to like take people where they need to go and how that affects their life and how, you know, this could be somebody going to visit their family or this, that, and the other, any, any multiple kind of situations. But he also said within that, I feel like I carry an immense amount of responsibility because I'm thinking about all these people's lives all the time and how that I have the balance of that. And I don't know. I just, I can't imagine what it would feel like to have to have all that responsibility as one single person, how that thought alone wouldn't just completely override you. Yeah. It's a, it's such a, a lot of responsibility to, to be a pilot. And it's probably why yeah. I'm not, so I'm such an irresponsible person sometimes. <laughs> But <laughs> I know sometimes I'm like, damn, do I really have to be responsible for myself? But for some reason, whenever I'm in the airplane, it's like I the, the number on. one goal is not to die. So like I'm always thinking about like just what I have to do and getting the task done. Um, but yeah, and up here we wrote in the notes, you know, talking about the Boeing Max and all of that. But you know, as you guys all are very aware, that automation led to two separate crashes um and that was very recent very recent and you know we now know that boeing knew about all of this i mean like and the faa knew that was the most messed up part yeah so i mean we can't if we can't trust a road like we can't even trust people why are we going to trust like something without a soul like without conscience like yeah, I think the saddest uh, part about that crash too, because I watched the, I think it was like a 2020 Dateline documentary on the the Max crashes. And just to see like all, it was like the Swiss cheese model that I'm talking about where like everything just kind of lined up to make a perfect disaster. Um, yeah. Perfect timing for a disaster. And the thing that I remember most about that documentary was that these pilots we're trying to overcome the MCAS system and trying not to let it. Um, Cause I can't remember, I know it had to do with the MCAS system, but I can't remember if it was like the stabilizer or something like that, but it would always keep, it would override the pilot. Like the pilot could not pull back the controls fast enough because the computer yeah. was faster. And that's why they ended up dying. And I think that's the saddest part is that these pilots knew that the automation was overriding them and there was nothing they could do about it. Dude, I, that's like, that's so scary to me. Like having something that's supposed to be there for you turn against you. Like, it's like the same concept of having someone like, you know, you trust and you love like turn against you when, when I can't, but then then you're dealing with something that, you know, you can't even control. That's like, you can't, you just, you cannot control that. Um, you're not like, we're not robots. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, I'm, I don't know. I just, I get the fucking heebie-jeebies. I'm like, I don't, I just, I feel like I keep repeating myself because every single time we talk about this, I just feel like it's always kind of the same. You start unwrapping it and it's like multiple layers. It's like, when people get those big balls of like wrap cellophane and there's like dollar bills wrapped all within it, but you have to keep on unwrapping it. I feel like this is that episode. Or you're like peeling back the layers of the onion. 
Yes. Yes. And, and, and the closer you get to the core, like the, the harder the tears, like the more, the stronger it gets, like yeah. the fumes from the onion. <laughs> yeah. And you just can't keep your eyes open anymore. Also, yep. the other point I would like to point out is like Boeing, the reason they rolled the system out so quickly is because of their CEO. Their CEO was all about the money. And then, so now if we have these automated systems, who are the companies making these automated systems? What do they gain? What are their intentions? Yeah, what are their intentions? Who's investing? Who backs them? And why? And you have to ask those questions because like we said, everything comes back to money. Yeah, that's what I I was going to touch on is like, you know, like you just said, I mean, who, if, if the FA knew, if Boeing knew, like I said, if you can't even trust people, how can you I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it's just like, like you can't, you can't even trust Boeing. Like, and Boeing is there to build these airplanes, to have these systems and these systems are created for safety. And yet they knew this and, and the FAA is getting backlash hard from the transportation infrastructure board and the aviation subcommittee. They are asking the FAA, how did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen? Why didn't you do more? Because the FAA is all about safety. That's their number one thing. And they allowed this to happen. So there's multiple pieces to the puzzle, multiple people who should be held accountable and at the end of the day, what we know is that the people who make these decisions at the top, they don't ever get in trouble. They just get compensated and thrown out. Yeah. Big money problems. More money, more problems, guys. More money, more problems. All right. So I'll conclude with the Alpha summary, which I think is important. It's at the very end of the Alpha white paper. And they say the number one pri- priority in commercial aviation is and always will be safety. Any measures or changes designed to improve the efficiency and economy of the current system must be accomplished without compromising safety. And the best guarantor of safety is having at least two fully qualified professional pilots in the cockpit. Investing in reduced crew operations would displace other potential investments that would benefit all aviation stakeholders, including the airlines and air transport companies, and compromise safety. Even in the modern technological age, there is no safe substitute for having at least two human pilots in the flight deck of large passenger and cargo transport aircraft, end quote. You know what's funny? We're talking about this, you know, this whole single pilot shit, but we're not talking about like going green with aviation. (laughs) I know that will be our next episode. (laughs) (laughs) like like I'm just thinking about that like as a society like we're really considering this but nobody's like hey by the way like the earth is also dying and like we got to figure out that too seriously we don't (laughs) like no yeah I think more and more I know that at least with the west coast airlines because there's a lot of hippies over here they are thinking about the green aspect but the way that they're doing it is I know one of the companies they were saying okay when you buy your plane ticket, you can also like add on a few more dollars and it goes to the green tax. And, and that's supposed to help them reduce their carbon emissions. And I'm like, well, why are we paying for it? Why don't you take it out of the actual ticket? Cause you guys are making billions of dollars. What the hell you got to pay extra to like do <laughs> but, a good deed. Like what? Like, no one's going to do that. Why don't you just include it in the ticket price? Don't even ask that. Just including the ticket price, because no one's going to extra just be like, oh yeah, let me, I mean, some people might, 
But in my opinion, most people are looking for a cheap ticket and they're not going to be like, yeah, add five bucks on for the green tax. Green. <laughs> and that's like when you go to Whole Foods and they're like, you want to donate a dollar for charity so that a hungry child can eat today? I mean, I like, and of course do you do that. it. Yes. Like, of you course you fucking do it. Yeah. And the reason is you feel guilty because there's people around you looking at you which no one's looking at you when you're buying up, buying it on your computer. You're like, I'm saving that $5 for, you know, my, my coffee at the airport. Dude, I I'm dying. This is so funny. We were, cause we were talking about South park earlier, but literally the episode of South park I watched last night, he was at whole foods and they're like asking him that. And they're like, don't, don't worry, sir. We, um, we set up the system so that it's easier to not feed the, the starving children. And he's like, all you have to do is take your, your credit card out of the child's mouth. And it like pans down. It's like a starving, like skinny child. And like the, it's the card reader and the card is in the kid's mouth. And he has to like pull the credit card out of the kid's <laughs> mouth. I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, man. Bruh that's just oh my god like oh my god it's just it kills me what are we coming to as a society well that's what I'm saying like no one will donate to the problem unless it's like right there in front of you if you're looking at this this starving child you're gonna donate but it's like when they come down the the aisle with the UNICEF yes yes (laughs) they play like the really sad video on the like yeah yes it's so terrible as a person i have to turn it off sometimes i'm like dude i feel like a terrible human being yeah oh god i i always try and put in a penny or two even though i've heard unicef is like really bad about not giving like the money actually apparently which don't i'm always like allegedly allegedly allegedly, (laughs) um yeah allegedly unicef is one of the corrupt um charities so i don't know do your own research on that but i stopped getting giving money to unicef about like three years ago i mean sometimes you gotta vet these companies you know, or these big entities are like yeah which we're giving out to these people and we're like okay but what else are you doing and who's investing in you that's why i say always ask questions yeah it's better to ask than not know knowledge is power <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that is it for this week. I apologize if I just repeated myself a lot. I feel like the 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 current theme of this episode was just like, nope, I'm not into it. I mean, I'm not really into it. And there, I think mostly it's just like that safety issue. I mean, also job security for all, for all the pilots. Like, of course, we're all united in not having a single pilot operation. But I really think all the kinks are not like smoothed out it's just too many different scenarios that could happen and really like alpha said it's all about safety it all comes back to safety and with an automated system we can't guarantee safety especially in emergency situation yeah I, i take back what i said about like going green actually we should just be talking about like if this is boiling down to the pilot shortage then we should be talking about why is flight school so expensive? Like, there you go. Like before we have to do all this, why don't we just make it like more accessible to be a pilot in the first place? It all comes back to money and and they don't want to allow that. Like, they're not going to be like, okay, you guys going to make school cheaper. Like they're not going to do that because they've just been going gangbusters with what they've been charging. And now it's more like, okay, let's lower the hours. 
let's reduce it from what is it 1500 for atp yeah i think so i think think i've always it's always been 1500 yeah well i think yeah like what we're going to see is either they're going to increase the retirement age to 70 or which is kind of scary having a freaking almost 70 year old pilot in the cockpit but or they're going to reduce hours to get to mainline yeah which I honestly think that I mean I think they should you know what I mean I think if you're flying with a captain like there's just a lot to learn um I think if you go through the right training I think yeah I mean that could definitely be one of the things that solves it but still it doesn't equate for the fact that those are still going to be the same pilots that are come to going to come to the airlines after the end of the the 1500. So it's really just like a time difference. You know what I mean? It's not going, I don't feel like that's going to persuade or get more people in the door of flight schools because it's still not changing the cost, you know? And like you said, we, it's like, that's going to be almost impossible to change, but I do hope, you know, as this does become more of a conversation, it does become more relevant. Hopefully people will acknowledge that, that like, Hey, we're having a pilot shortage. Let's go back to where pilots come from. Okay, well, maybe that is the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I I do hope that's kind of one of the things that I've been pushing for, even with our legislative stuff, is reducing the cost of things because everything is such a high cost. Yeah. And, and that's why there's a pilot shortage because the cost is so high. It really just eliminates a lot of people thinking, oh, I'll, I'll be an airline pilot. Maybe they were thinking about being that. Then when they looked at the cost and also the ability to secure a loan for that amount of money is hard. So yeah. it, it just comes down to that. Like the cost is too high. So I'm going to do something else. And yeah, that's yeah. Why, why we're in this pilot shortage now. And then like at the time we had talked about this earlier, when you became a regional pilot, there was, you weren't going to get back what you've put in. You're only making 30 K a year as a airline pilot. And that's ludicrous for a hundred K you've put in. Yeah. I was about to say average cost of training is around a hundred thousand dollars. So it, it just, it's, it's not, and, and guys, you can't like, and everyone who's listening to this knows this, but there isn't financial aid there. Like there isn't anything. And, you know, everyone will say, Oh, go, you can apply for a scholarship. You can apply for a scholarship. Well, hate to break it to you. Everyone's applying for the scholarships because the scholarships that are there are so few and far between that literally everyone is applying for them because everyone is struggling to afford this. At like least scholarships are only about two thousand dollars. Yeah, I know. I'm like twenty of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know some of those scholarships I've applied for, and it's like I'm really just applying for like four flight lessons, maybe. Like, yeah. I just uh, sometimes it's a sad life, but we sure do love it. <laughs> yes, that's why my most pilots. It's a passion, passion, yep. passion, passion. It was for what drives you guys yeah yeah all right y'all well that is it for this week's episode um as always don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the show follow us on instagram at the pilots pandemic and as always keep the blue side up and the brown side down